chapter 22, verses 39 to 65. Jesus went out, as usual, to the Mount of Olives, and his disciples followed him. On reaching the place, he said to them, Pray that you will not fall into temptation. He withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them, knelt down, and prayed, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. An angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. When he rose from prayer and went back to the disciples, he found them asleep, exhausted from sorrow. Why are you sleeping? he asked Asked them. Get up and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. While he was still speaking, a crowd came up, and the man who was called Judas, one of the twelve, was leading them. He approached Jesus to kiss him, but Jesus asked him, Judas, are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? When Jesus' followers saw what was going to happen, they said, Lord, should we strike with our swords? And one of them struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his right ear. But Jesus answered, No more of this. And he touched the man's ear and healed him. Then Jesus said to the chief priests, the officers of the temple guard, and the elders who had come for him, Am I leading a rebellion that you have come with swords and clubs? Every day I was with you in the temple courts, and you did not lay a hand on me. But this is your hour, when darkness reigns. Then seizing him, they led him away and took him into the house of the high priest. Peter followed at a distance. And when some there had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and had sat down together, Peter sat down with them. A servant girl saw him seated there in the firelight. She looked closely at him and said, This man was with him. But he denied it. Woman, I don't know him, he said. A little later, someone else saw him and said, You also are one of them. Man, I am not, Peter replied. About an hour later, another asserted, Certainly this fellow was with him, for he is a Galilean. Peter replied, Man, I do not know what you are talking about. Just as he was speaking, the cock crowed. The Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. Then Peter remembered the word the Lord had spoken to him. Before the cock crows today, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. The men who were guarding Jesus began mocking and beating him. They blindfolded him and demanded, Prophesy, who hit you? And they said many other insulting things to him. Good evening, everybody. It's so great to see you all here and to meet a lot of you for the first time. It's, it's a massive privilege to be able to uh, be here serving uh, you all and to be preaching tonight. So uh, it's really great to see you. I'm looking forward to getting stuck in this week with many of you, with the various things that God is doing here at WBC. We have uh, a pretty grim passage tonight. It's, uh, it's a pretty sad one. Perhaps one of the saddest in the whole Bible. And so uh, I think it's important that we, we pray and ask God to help us to, to grapple with it and to understand it. So let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that we can be here tonight, that we can sit under your word, 
and that we can hear about who you are, the God that you are, who cares and loves for us, uh, loves us so much. Help us to put away any distractions that we might have, things on our minds. Help us to listen to you tonight. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. About five years ago, I was going along to a wedding, and it was the wedding of one of my best friends, and I was the best man. And we were so excited. I was heading down about a week prior to help with preparations for the wedding. And as I was uh, on the plane, I was, I'm from New Zealand, so uh, I was making my way to Christchurch. And uh, when I touched down on the plane, I get this message from my friend. And he said, hey, let me know when you arrive and, and give me a call because I've got some really heavy news to tell you. And uh, I sort of get that and my, my heart starts pounding and I have no idea what the news could be. And when I arrived in the terminal, um, I gave my friend a call and uh, he said, oh, Ben, um, my father, he, uh, he just died uh, from, from suicide about a week before the wedding. And so immediately I just started crying and because um, for my friend, he had gone through a really rough time in his life anyway. His, his mum passed away from lung cancer when he was 13 and he uh we'd sort of wrestled with that together as as we'd gone through high school and so in this this time of that was supposed to be a time of celebration at that time that's meant to be exciting time we were meant to be getting ready for uh, one of the best days of his life we're now having to help prepare a funeral helping um, because his mum had passed away had to be chatting with lawyers about his um, the estate and what's gonna be happening with all the money um, so it was just a it was a it was a really dark week um, and so we were just trying to go through that together now my friend he's a Christian but no doubt as you can imagine his his faith was pretty shaken by this whole thing um, we were supposed to get excited but instead we're trying to figure all this stuff out. So I think we, we were just wondering to, to one another, like, where, where is God through a really tough time like this? Like, where is, where is God when dark times come upon us? You know, he could have, if, if this had to happen at some point, maybe could God have made it happen like a year earlier or a year later or maybe even a few months later? It just it felt like the, the worst possible time that this uh, was to happen. Where is God in the dark times, when we feel alone, or where, uh, as as Jesus used uh, uses the phrase in this passage, where is God when when darkness reigns? That's our big question today. Where is God when darkness reigns? So we're going to see three ways that God is with us when darkness reigns. So the first one is that God is with us in prayer. God is with us in prayer. So if you got your Bibles. We're in Luke 22, verse 39. We'll have a look there. Luke 22, 39. Jesus went out as usual to the Mount of Olives, and his disciples followed him. On reaching the place, he said to them, Pray that you will not fall into temptation. He withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them, knelt down and prayed, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. An angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. Jesus tells his disciples to pray because uh, 
there's temptation. There's, he prays that they won't fall into temptation because as we saw last week, Satan is at work. He's trying to trip them up. He's trying to get them to give up their faith to, to do something wrong. And, uh, Jesus prayed for Peter's faith, Luke 22, 31 to 32. Uh, prayed that Peter's faith would not fail in the face of this temptation that was coming. And this prayer, this is what Jesus modeled as part of the Lord's Prayer back in Luke 11, uh, Luke chapter 11, where in the prayer he finishes with, uh, lead us not into temptation. Jesus knows what temptation feels like. He was tempted in the desert. He was tempted throughout his ministry. And now he's facing the biggest temptation, disobeying his father's will. You see, Jesus, he's, he's fully God. He will not sin. It's not in his, not in his character to, to sin. He, he will not do it. But Jesus, he's also fully human, just like you and me. And so here we really see a real glimpse into his humanity. It's on full display in this passage. He kneels down and he asks God to take this cup from him because he knows what lies ahead of him at the cross. It's going to be a whole world of pain. But what is this cup that he's talking about? It's a bit of an odd phrase. Um, definitely not something how we wouldn't use it like that. Um, it's, it comes from the Old Testament kind of uh, idea that God's divine judgment is this massive cup. It's this cup, and uh, it's in quite a few places. And one example is in Psalm 75, verses 7 to 8. The psalmist writes, It is God who judges. He brings one down. He exalts another. And the hand of the Lord is a cup full of foaming wine mixed with spices. He pours it out, and all the wicked of the earth drink it down to its very dregs. It's this idea that every action that we do against God, be it lying or stealing, cheating, Every action that we do against him, it's a, it's a personal offense against him. And this offense incurs God's wrath. But it's not an immediate wrath there and then. It's, it's rather, it's, it's stored away for another time. It's put into this, this cup. And so either one day the wicked will have to drink that cup, have to face all of God's wrath, or Jesus drinks it for them. So by Jesus drinking this cup that he's talking about, he's talking about taking on all the wrath of God against the sins of the whole world. And that's a frightening idea for one person to have to take something like that. And so as he's wrestling with this, he's, he's in anguish. He doesn't want to do this. But rather than running away, he instead prays. He prays, yet not my will, but yours be done. And Jesus here, he submits to the Father. Now, some people might look at this passage like this and they think, maybe is Jesus a bit of a, is, is, like, what's going on here? Is, is Jesus on board with what's going on? Is he, is there some, some even accuse uh, what's going on here as some kind of idea of divine, like, child abuse or something like that? And this notion that Jesus is forced to do something against his will. That's not what's going on here. Jesus, he's fully on board with this plan to be sacrificed. He predicted it in chapters 9 and 18. God the Father, God the Son, God and the Spirit, they're all on board with this plan to save his people. So planning it in eternity past. 
So what's going on here is that Jesus, from his human perspective, he's not wanting to go through all of that pain and suffering ahead. And so he's being, he's being tempted to not obey his father. You see, if Jesus, if he wasn't fully human, then I imagine he'd probably be quite stoic through this whole situation. Uh, he'd basically be kind of emotionless as he goes to be mocked and flogged, crucified naked. But that's not what we see. Jesus, he's, he's so stressed out that he's sweating everywhere, sweat like drops of blood to the ground. Some people think that maybe he's, he's even sweating blood, but most, most people disagree with that. But rather, it's this vivid image that Luke's trying to uh, help us understand that. It's almost like Jesus has an open wound and there's blood just kind of pouring onto the ground. That's how, that's how much he's sweating. Because what's interesting with this imagery of blood uh, the word blood is used in this passage, even though he's not actually bleeding, but the word blood is not used when he's crucified. And that's because on the Mount of Olives, in a sense, really, Jesus' soul is, is crucified or being crucified. But on the Mount of Calvary, that's where his body is crucified. So the most, the most intense description of uh, Jesus' agony is not at Golgotha, but at Gethsemane. And so Jesus, he asks for help, and God sends help. An angel strengthens him in this terrible hour. Jesus, he's not spared the trial, but he's given the strength to face it. Jesus isn't spared the trial, but he's given the strength to face it. The Bible's very honest about temptation. We get tempted all the time, and there are many things that make temptation even harder. And being exhausted is one of them. The disciples here, they're exhausted. And so Jesus knows that they're going to be uh, tempted even further. How often do we, if we are feeling maybe a bit tired or something like that, do we snap at somebody or maybe we um, say something really nasty? And then when uh, we sort of come to our centers, we're like, oh, you know, um, sorry, I'm just feeling really tired. I've had a really hard week and, and things like that. There are many things that, that tempt us uh, to, to, to sin, to not obey God. And knowing this, Jesus calls his disciples to pray because that is a solution to helping us in our time of temptation. Because we're reminded that God is with us. He strengthens us. He gives us perspective on the situation. So in Jesus' darkest hour, when he encounters temptation, he prays. And he encourages his disciples to pray. He knows what it feels like to be tempted. God is with us through every trial. He's with us when darkness reigns. Our big question today is, where is God when darkness reigns? We've seen that he's with us in prayer. Now we're going to see that he's with us in betrayal. God is with us in betrayal. Let's have a look with me. Luke chapter 22 verse 47. Luke twenty two forty seven. While he was still speaking, a crowd came up, and the man who was called Judas, one of the twelve, was leading them. He approached Jesus to kiss him. But Jesus asked him, Judas, are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? When Jesus' followers saw what was going to happen, they said, Lord, should we strike with our swords? And one of them struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his right ear. But Jesus answered, no more of this. And he touched the man's ear and healed him. The kiss of death 
that's what Jesus is experiencing here. The sign of affection is uh, instead used as a sign of defection. Judas, one of Jesus' very own disciples, betrays him. And a mob turns up to take him away. And as the disciples, they have in their minds uh, Jesus' words from Luke twenty-two thirty-six, 36, where uh, he said to buy swords. And so they draw their sword and they chop off the air of the servant of the high priest. But the, the disciples they didn't understand that when Jesus said to buy swords, he meant that persecution and trouble was ahead. It didn't mean that they'd actually needed to fight to actually go around attacking people or anything like that. And so Jesus, he tells his disciples to stop. And then amazingly, he heals the man's ear. The people, they've, they've turned up this big mob to arrest him, and he heals their, th- this man's ear. It's just like an incredible amount of grace and, and mercy that Jesus shows. And for some reason, it doesn't seem to dissuade the, the, the mob from going ahead with what they're doing. Even though he's doing this right up until the end, he's healing people. How can anyone arrest this man? He's innocent. Or another way that the mob could have looked at it is that, well, if Jesus can heal a man's ear, what else could he do? Could he do some other kind of amazing, miraculous thing and just wipe us all out in one go? Who knows? Well, it seems that neither of those thoughts seem to go through their head. They go through and arrest him. And so we see here Jesus ministering to sinners in need. Similar to how on the cross on, in Luke 23, we'll see that soon, where Jesus prays, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. Now you might think here that Jesus, he's been, he's been, maybe he's been a bit of a doormat. But what we need to remember is that there is a day of the sword coming. Revelation 19 is this picture of Jesus riding on the clouds to judge the world. And he has a sword coming out of his mouth. It's a pretty epic scene. I encourage you, if you haven't read that before or haven't read it recently, it's a really epic picture in Revelation 19. Judgment will come to evildoers, but it's going to happen in God's timing. In the meantime, we can be comforted knowing that Jesus knows what it feels like to be betrayed. He knows what it feels like uh, to be tempted, to want vengeance. Maybe you have been betrayed. Maybe somebody has just wronged you terribly. Jesus knows what that feels like. You might be tempted to, to take vengeance upon them, to maybe gossip behind their back, murder their character uh, when, they, when they're not around. Jesus gets it. He understands. He was betrayed too. But we must remember that a day of judgment is coming when those that have wronged us will face just justice. Either the punishment will all be on Jesus or they themselves will have to face it. But either way, it's going to be dealt with fully. Jesus goes on. He exposes the mob. They had many chances to arrest him, but they were always terrified of the crowds. The crowds, they, they love Jesus, love listening to Jesus, uh, but the teachers of the law and the Pharisees, they didn't want to borrow of it. They wouldn't submit to their rightful king. So Jesus, he doesn't take immediate vengeance upon them. He doesn't summon a legion of angels to come and just destroy them. No, this is their hour when darkness reigns. Jesus knows what it feels like to go through darkness. 
He knows what it feels like to be betrayed. He's with us. Our question today is, where is God when darkness reigns? We've seen that he's with us in prayer. Then we saw that he's with us when we're betrayed. But now we're going to see that he's with us when we're in pain. God is with us in our pain. So have a look with me. Luke twenty-two fifty-four. 54. Then seizing him, they led him away and took him into the house of the high priest. Peter followed at a distance. And when some there had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and had sat down together, Peter sat down with them. A servant girl saw him seated there in the firelight. She looked closely at him and said, This man was with him. But he denied it. Woman, I don't know him, he said. Peter's one of Jesus' closest disciples, and I really like him. He's, he's often quite over the top, says some really sometimes a little bit ridiculous kind of things, and I'm really look, looking forward to meeting him one day. Uh, here he is. He's following Jesus at a distance, and he's, he's behind enemy lines. He's in a lot of danger. He's trying to keep his head down. But then he gets spotted, and he's questioned about his relationship to, to Jesus. And then Peter goes on to deny Jesus three times. Out of all the disciples who would disown Jesus, I think Peter is probably the least likely one to do it. He loved Jesus, but we see him deny, deny him three times. And so what's so striking about it is that just hours before, Jesus predicted that Peter was going to do that. Early in chapter 22, Jesus said that he had been praying for Peter that his faith would not fail. And in response, Peter said in verse 33, uh, 22, 33, Lord, I'm ready to go with you to prison and to death. But remember how Jesus answered. I tell you, Peter, before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times that you know me. Peter could talk the talk, but he couldn't walk the walk. He didn't do what Jesus said and, and pray that he wouldn't fall into temptation. And so the drama peaks when after Peter denies him a third time, Jesus looks at Peter. Can you imagine the pain for both of them as Jesus is betrayed, as Peter realizes what's just happened? Jesus knows what pain feels like when a friend denies you. But the pain doesn't end there. In verses 63 to 65, the soldiers, they mock Jesus, they beat him up, they say terrible things to him. And it's such a sad picture because as they're beating him up and they're saying, prophesy who hit you, uh, Jesus could have actually prophesied and told them who was hitting him. He could have revealed to them the seriousness of the crime that they were committing, that they were beating up God the Son. But sin had blinded them from seeing what was going on. Sin had blinded them from seeing who Jesus really is, that he's God in the flesh, God who loves them, the God who made them. Those that mock Jesus are often, they're often the ones that need him the most. And so what we learn here is a few things. We understand that Jesus, uh, we come to learn that Jesus understands our pain. The pain of a selfish friend, the pain of being beaten up, the pain of being mocked, the pain of being betrayed. Many of us, Hare might have experienced one or maybe even some of those things. Jesus understands. He's with us in our pain. 
we might look at Peter and think, how could, how could Peter do this? Like, how could he deny Jesus three times, especially when it was predicted hours before? But how often do we deny Jesus? How often do we avoid talking about him at work or uni or school just for the sake of fitting in? When people ask about how our weekends were, we talk about all the things we got up to except for church for some reason. How often do we live just like everyone else does, with a life that's orientated towards comfort and security, material possessions? I used to be in the Air Force uh, a number of years back, and uh, I was in it for five years, but uh, a few years in, I... um, over the summer break, I went on this this camp, and we got taught how to teach the Bible. And it was a really great camp, had an awesome time, met lots of great friends. But when I got back from the summer camp, the um, I was back at work, and one of the guys that I'd been working with for a few years saw me, and he said, oh, hey, Ben, I saw that you had had, looks like you had a great holiday. Um, you went along to some Christian camp. I had no idea you were a Christian. And when he said that, I just, my world just came crashing down. Because in that moment, I realized that my, I'd been going along to church each week, been going along to Bible study every week. I'd been even getting trained to how to, how to write a Bible study. But obviously, none of that had transferred into living with people who didn't know Jesus. It hadn't transferred into my life. I, I just looked the same as everybody else. So I'd worked with this guy for years, and obviously I'd never, ever talked about Jesus with him. And so I kind of realized in that moment that I was happy with Jesus as the Savior of my life and all the benefits of grace and and God's forgiveness. But I obviously wasn't prepared to have him as the Lord of my life, where he actually changes my life. Do the people in your life know that you're a Christian? Does your life look different to theirs? Do you you value this life or do you value the life to come? So we can't judge Peter too quickly. His story is a reminder that even the closest of Jesus' followers can be tempted to deny him. But remember, forgiveness is always on offer. In the Gospel of John, after his resurrection, Jesus asks Peter three times, Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? To make up for his three denials. Jesus forgives Peter. And so if you've denied Jesus at any point, remember that forgiveness is always on offer. That's the heart of our king. As we behold him, his heart is always ready to forgive. As we finish up, let's go back to our big question. Our big question was, where is God when darkness reigns? We saw that he's with us in prayer. And after that, we saw that he's with us in betrayal. And then lastly, we saw that he's with us in our pain. In our series, uh, in this series, we're encouraged to behold our king. And this king, he's not someone who's sort of transcendent, he's up there, he's distant, doesn't know what's going on. This king is, is someone who understands us. He understands what we're going through. He, he understands when we're tempted. And so he calls us to pray. He understands when we're betrayed. He calls us to trust him with justice. He understands when we feel pain. So he calls us to live with him as the Lord of our life. We see maybe one of the saddest episodes in the whole Bible. Our king being betrayed, mocked, 
beaten up and in pain. And he's in absolute agony. Why did he have to go through all this? Well, it's because of, it's because of people like me and people like you. It's for, for our sin and because he loved us so much that he was betrayed. It's for, it was for our sin and because he loved us so much that he was humiliated. It's for our sin and because he loved us so much that he went to the cross. So we must remember the agony that Jesus went through. Because as we look at his pain, we catch a, a, just a glimpse of the cost of our sin. That means that if we trust in Jesus, we need to take sin seriously too. That means that we must never plan to sin. We must never take God's grace for granted. We must never think that maybe we can, we can kind of just live however we like and, and, and do this thing that I know is wrong, but uh, I can just ask God for forgiveness later. God's got that sorted. How dare we treat God like that? when Jesus went through this agony for us. Now, of course, we're, we're going to stuff up. We're going to make mistakes. And forgiveness is always on offer. But we must never plan to sin. We don't have a God who, who tells us to kind of suck it up and, and complain when we go through hard times. He understands, uh, he understands when darkness reigns. He was tempted too. My friend's wedding, it was one filled with mixed emotions. We firstly really, really wanted to celebrate this new marriage coming together. And, and we did. There was lots of dancing and, and, and awesome food. But at the same time, we all, the whole church, we just wanted to grieve. And in that dark time, uh, my friend's church, they gathered around him. And they brought huge amounts of flowers and gifts and food. They prayed for him, showered him with, with love. Even though darkness reigned that week, my friend was able to be comforted by God and his people. I don't know what kind of terrible things you might have endured, what horrific things you've, you've had happen to you, or, or maybe even you might be going through something awful right now. But God knows. He cares. And he calls you to pray, to, to know that he's there with you through it all to strengthen you so that you will, you will not sin. Jesus knows what it feels like when darkness reigns. So be comforted. Trust in him because he is with you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for Jesus. We thank you that he suffered so we didn't have to. We thank you that he knows what it feels like when darkness reigns. Help us to remember to pray to you when we're tempted. Let not your will, sorry, let not our will, but yours be done. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.